beautiful soul family and welcome to the Walk On Podcast, the podcast where I try to demystify spirituality, personal growth and healing, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Britt Cannon, and this week is my first week back after like uh, three months off. (laughs) Um, So today I think I want to talk about like non-linear progress and how progress both is and isn't linear. Like you, you know, if you like zoomed in on an era of your life and you thought of it as like a line graph, like there would be peaks and valleys, like within each section you zoomed in on, there would be peaks and valleys. And at least in my own experience on my own journey, at first the peaks and valleys were extreme. You know, the highs would be what at the time was like the highest high that I could feel, you know, a certain achievement, certain relationships, like certain milestones in my life, whatever. And then the lows would be like (laughs) rock bottom lows. And sometimes it would be the rock bottom of the rock bottom. (laughs) And sometimes it would be like a pit so low that I didn't think that I would ever be able to climb out of it. And then I would, and I'd hit another peak and then I'd hit another valley and then I'd hit another peak and then I'd hit another valley. And, and so if you zoom in, if you just look at like little chunks of time under a microscope, you see those extreme peaks and valleys. But if you were to zoom out and, you know, I talk about this like idea of zooming out or getting like a bird's eye view or a God's eye view of your life, you know, if you can look at it from a higher perspective uh, it it has a lot more context, you know, like there's, and you can see how far you've traveled where you can't, when you're in the present moment, when you're dealing with what's right in front of you, when you're taking each day step by step by step, you don't always see how far you've traveled, but when you zoom out, you can see, oh shit, I've actually come a really long way. And in the zoom out, <laughs> you will see uh, a sort of linear trend to your growth. So like it isn't linear, you know, sometimes it feels like you travel and then you, you might hit one of those, like, you know, the board game, sorry, (laughs) and how you can like, you land on those things where you have to slide back five or six steps. You know, you go through that many times in your life and, and always will. And there will always be new challenges and new things to overcome, like new ways of being that you have to learn to love in yourself that you might struggle with resistance with or towards at first. But over time, you kind of smooth out and surrender over and over again. Like that process of death and rebirth is infinite. That's always happening. It's always going to happen. And to resist it is really to to be in your default settings place, you know, in that place that says, I'm done. (laughs) I'm fine here. I don't want to go any further. I don't want to be challenged anymore. Leave me alone and let me just like stagnate. But like if you can get to a place of surrender about it, then you it's like the kind of practice that works like building muscle or like learning a new skill. Like it's a meditation. It's a sacred practice of like of realizing that each time you do it, your confidence in yourself, in your ability to start over, in your ability to find healing, in your ability to like fit that experience you just went through into the greater context of your life, 
and see it as like hands molding the clay of you into like the piece of art you're you're becoming always um then it's not so scary and you don't resist as hard and also the peaks and valleys are not as high like it looks a little bit more stable like you could tell if you're looking at that line graph of your life that the peaks and valleys like kind of start to level out it's not always smooth sailing it's never going to be but you don't drop as far and therefore you don't have to climb as far to get up again. And, you know, I do experience this thing that I've talked about before on the podcast where like my highs don't feel as high. Like I almost have to work a little bit harder to, to touch gratitude and like appreciation and even take a moment to revel in where I'm at and what I've just been through because it doesn't feel as hard and like, and I'm also like my emotions have leveled out. So I'm not as like ecstatic about things. So it takes a little bit more work, but I take, (laughs) I would take my highs not being as high in exchange for my lows not being as low any day of the week. And also I think it's like, it's part of non-attachment, like this idea that you don't need any, You don't really need anything external to you to feel whole and to feel happy and to feel at peace. Like you understand that those things are cultivated from within and anything that's like added to your life is just like a fucking bonus. You know, you're just like, oh my God, incredible. (laughs) I love this. But you, you can like enjoy connections and community and, and even like abundance in all of its many manifestations without feeling like terrified that you're going to lose it or, you know, you're not clinging, you're not reaching, you're not grasping, you're not striving, you're just kind of being and enjoying. And that's beautiful. Um, It's just like the idea of, you know, so many people when they first get out of like abusive relationships or like limerent, like unrequited love style relationships, they always say like, oh, this really nice person. I watched my mom do this like my whole life. Like this really nice person is into me and like they seem to really like me and value me and respect me and they treat me really well, but like it's boring. You know, there's this idea that the chaos is what's exciting and like it's the chaos that makes it mean so much and it's the chaos that brings in that like magical thinking about what a relationship is and it's the turmoil that feels like passion that like keeps people addicted to that whole cycle of like love bombing and discarding or however it plays out you know running and chasing or whatever or daydreaming and living in a fantasy and not being in the real world at all um or some combination of all of the above but actually like the stability is where real deep love and appreciation and like connection and intimacy can bloom. And, and like when you realize that, when you experience that kind of like calm, stable, like loyal, not chaotic community in whatever kind of relationship, even like a workplace, you know, when you go somewhere where you're loved and wanted and, and like it's safe for you to exist you, you don't need to feel those crazy highs. Like it's not, it's not a fantasy. It's not too good to be true. It's just good and true. Um, and I think like sometimes the stability of life, you know, we can be like, oh, that's boring. Especially when you're in like a disordered place, you definitely can see people who have their shit together as like a boring person. They're not exciting. Like, 
They're not out here doing all this. <laughs> or when you're a person who's stable, you can sometimes feel insecure when you're around people who aren't because they might seem like they're having a lot more fun. But I don't know. It's just like stability is it for me. <laughs> and like I said, I, I also am and like far enough along on my journey that I understand that stability doesn't mean perfection. In fact, the striving for the goal of perfection is chaos in and of itself, you know, and talk about not being able to see the forest for the trees or like appreciate where you are. Like if you're striving for perfection, nothing's ever good enough. And when I encounter like hypercritical people in my life and I see that that part of me that can be that way, it reflected in someone else. I'm always like, ugh. Like it makes me cringe. It makes me cringe for them. It makes me cringe for the parts of that behavior I see in myself. And it really makes me want to soften. It inspires me to like, to just be and realize that, you know, <laughs> choosing peace is always, choosing peace, choosing healing, choosing love, choosing like inner fulfillment, choosing growth, like that's always better than like any ecstatic experience you can have. You know, honestly, to the point where like these days, it's hard for me to like, I love psychedelics. If you've listened to the show or my music or like had a conversation with me, like I can't not bring it up. I love <laughs> psychedelics. But now where I am, like, I feel like I can't even picture myself doing them for real, even though sometimes I'm like, oh, that would be so nice to have a trip. But like, it's so tiring and exhausting and sort of like up and down and emotional that I would almost like, I'd rather just hang out, you know? <laughs> so this is like really become part of my personality. And like, my primary way of being is just like calm and surrender and happiness and peace and gratitude and like balance, you know, uh, but not perfect. There's still ups and downs. Like I still get triggered. There are still many backslides and I'll get into some of, I jumped, I jumped right in here because I've been thinking about all this for like a couple months. So it's just boring out of me, but I'll pull a Tarantino and go back to the start and tell you the ways that I've been like coming to these conclusions and like loosening my grip on my expectation of how things should play out and my attachment to like certain outcomes or, or like a version of, of the past me that actually wasn't all that healthy, um, who, who was who they were so that I could be who I am now. And that actually living in a place of like, good reparenting of myself is, is honoring the past versions of me who were suffering so hard, who didn't have access to self-love or boundaries or the practice of confidence or who had kind of a tenuous grip, grip on their healing because I was on the roller coaster. You know what I mean? Like I was holding on for dear life. We were up one minute, down the next round and around and, <laughs> and upside down and um, you know, it was, it was the kind of chaos that like can like make way for new life. And that's definitely what's been happening to me. I'm like, I feel myself coming out the other side of the last like 10 ish year slog of healing from, you know, kind of the moment that I realized that what I had been through in my childhood wasn't 
normal or that it actually had damaged me, that there was no way I made it through all that as like an, like an okay functional (laughs) person. And like the reasons why I struggled with certain things or the reasons why I had this self-sabotage impulse or, or my executive dysfunction being like so severe or just so many like issues that I considered actually like personal failures and character flaws were just trauma all the way through like deciding to, um, I almost use the word excommunicate, (laughs) uh, distance myself from my family, go no contact, like all the way through the years of grieving and like triggering and getting in the fucking muck of the tar pits of trauma (laughs) to like kind of where I am now, where I feel like I'm just, you know, like I'm a newborn baby or I'm like a butterfly and my wings are still wet, but we're there. You know, I can, to quote Dolly Parton, I can see the light of a clear blue morning. Like (laughs) the dawn is breaking, things are looking up again. And, um, and it hasn't been like a straightforward journey, but there is a linear aspect to it because like where I am now, I know, like I, I know I have all the faith in the world, all the trust in myself that no matter what life throws at me and I know it will throw shit at me because <laughs> that's being alive, you know, you don't get just like the happy parts of, of life when you, when your soul chooses to come here you know, you're, you're here to experience it all. So I know that when a curveball comes my way or when I'm struggling in a certain moment or when I just like have a bad fucking day or when I get scared about the future or, or whatever, like I, I know that I'll never go back to my lowest pit because I know how to heal. I know how to take care of myself. I know how to rebuild I know how much work rebuilding takes, but I also know how fulfilling it is to come out the other side. And that's, that. there is like a linear quality to that. You know, it's like your low is, lives where your peak used to live, you know? So you have risen, you have like elevated or awakened or whatever, however you want to look at it. Like (laughs) there is a, a sort of exponential pattern to the peaks and valleys and the way they flow. So let me tell you a couple little stories (laughs) of what I've been going through. So the reason why I took a break from the podcast, my original intention was to finish my album Hard Pop, which I have been working on for close to a decade. I think I wrote the first song for it like eight or nine years ago. So actually, that's not true. (laughs) I think I wrote the first song for it maybe 12 years ago. Um, So it's been a long time coming. Um, I like, I grew up poor and I've been like very poor most of my life. And any time I had like, I was given like a keyboard or a guitar or, you know, like every little piece of equipment I got along my journey. Like I loved it. I cherished it. I took amazing care of it, even though I didn't really know how to do that for most aspects of my life. Like 
for the music equipment and the things that I needed to make my art, I was like very precious about them. And, and like, I worked with my first bandmate, um, to record, he had like all the equipment, all the instruments, all the everything. And so that was nice. I got to like learn (laughs) on the job in a lot of ways. And like, and kind of learn what I needed, you know, what someone who has a home recording studio needs. I also took a class in college on how to record music, which has been, it's one of the best things that I ever did (laughs) was this one MIDI class that like laid my foundation for how to use recording software. And then like writing music and like living life and living so hard and loving so hard and getting my heart so broken and just like healing and processing and confronting life and like opening to experience and then getting all this rich experience and then, you know, da 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 and borrowing other people's recording equipment, using a really shitty setup, releasing some music on, what was that? It was like, I can't remember what the, like Reverb Nation or something like that, like releasing on this weird streaming site, getting some good feedback, like my life falling apart borrowing someone else's equipment, recording a little bit, my life falling apart. Like literally I have been through so many stops and starts in this whole process of making this one first album when I have like at least the next four like lined up. I have some sort of material written for the next four albums of my career. Like I have a lifetime of art to make on the list, in line, ready to go, (laughs) which is kind of daunting, you know? Cause you're like excited by what you're creating and you want to get it out there and you want to like know that it's like, I want to be able to like, Oh, my own song is stuck in my head. Let me go listen to it. Um, and I just can't yet. And there's so many ideas and it's just like sometimes overwhelming the way that things come to me and like these downloads from the universe and then a lack of time or a lack of able-bodiedness or, or a lack of resources or things crashing or people, you know, taking the stuff I was borrowing back before I could finish or, or a lack of skill in some cases, a lack of whatever (laughs) motivation to depressed, like just one thing after another has like caused these barriers, which, you know, at the time were like devastating You know, I had this one (laughs) terrible day where I rode, no, I rollerbladed. I didn't even ride my bike. I rollerbladed to this big library in Brooklyn because they have a recording studio. I had been recording there, but I had been doing like instruments and background vocals and stuff. And today I was doing the leads. I go in, I'm recording for maybe 20 minutes and someone knocks on the door and they're like, hey, you're being too loud. And I remember leaving and crying on the steps of the library and just being like, this is never going to happen. Like, I'm too poor. Like, I'm coming back from too far back. Like, being homeless, having to sell, like, the pieces, some of the pieces I did have, although I, re- I kept all of my instruments, thank goodness. Um, but, you know, like, just having to get by, not even having a place to live. And then once I had a place to live, not even having a bed to sleep on, I slept on my dirty clothes on a hardwood floor in a room I was sharing with my sister in a boarding house of like the craziest, not to use a <laughs> an ableist slur, but like the most challenging, unstable people I've ever met in my life. Um, <laughs> 
but I was going to use the word craziest, but then I thought better of it anyway. Um, in like a sort of dangerous situation and then like slowly, slowly, slowly putting the pieces back together, rebuilding, collecting this, doing that, starting this podcast on my phone and then like borrowing someone else's computer that they eventually took away, recording my first album on that, like just one little step at a time. And, and now I know that like when I get freaked out about the album taking longer than I wanted it to, or like not always being able to work on it as consistently as, as like my best case scenario self would be able to, um, I, I, I have this other thought that comes into my head that's like, but you'll never, cause the fear really is from the scarcity of those experiences, right? The fear is from knowing what it feels like to have nothing, like knowing what it feels like to be sort of powerless in the face of the monster of life under capitalism, <laughs> um, as a poor person, as someone who has nothing, who's lost everything and to be an artist and to have like art and creating art and like making things to put out in the world. And like, that gives me all so much meaning, so much fulfillment, so much life. Like I love it. I eat, sleep and breathe it truly. Like it's an obsession. It has been since I was a baby. So to like have this wealth of, of like art, this like backlog of things written and like planned and dreamed of and to have no way to create them or no <laughs> control over like what I am able to make, what is within, you know, it's like having this abundance in one area, like this, this like bottomless well of creativity, but to not have anything in the other area of like being able to actualize it into the world was really tough. And it's the same thing with like scarcity around food or like resources like having what you need as far as clothing and shoes and like water and food um I already said food but I guess it's really important because I said it twice um you know like you once you know what it's like to live without those it's really hard to heal that fear of like knowing how hard it is knowing how bad it is like knowing what it is to struggle in that way and you know going to sleep every day feeling so unsafe and, and just, you know, people love to talk about like an abundance mindset and like a scarcity mindset and how, and I've even talked about it. Like it's a thing, it's a real thing, but like blaming people for having trauma around money, I think is, is pretty despicable actually. And like very capitalist, it goes back to that, that capitalist Christian, like morality around wealth and how like if you're wealthy it's because you're like God loves you more and how if you're poor it means that there's something wrong with you and you deserve it because you're lazy and you're like not a good person or whatever um like God only blesses those who are like who he loves the best and that's just some fucked up like mommy and daddy issue <laughs> shit like that's not real it's privilege can take on many different forms and a lack of privilege aka oppression can also take on many forms and like and there is trauma with all of it because you know I think that being a like a kid of generationally wealthy family like 
obviously you have a lot of privileges and a lot of opportunities and like the world at your fingertips in a lot of ways, but there's also trauma that goes along with that. And there's things that you have to overcome. Like it's really easy to be disconnected from other people, from other experiences, to think you know more than you do, to be really naive or or close-minded or just like ignorant, you know? And I mean, watch the Kardashians and you can see how that kind of privilege can make you into a little, a little bit of a monster, but it also makes you a spectacle. And like, and I don't know, I think it's really wild when I watch any kind of reality show. I'm really into the Real Housewives right now of New York specifically, how these rich people, how awkward it is when they have to interact with regular humans. And it's like the regular people are like, what the fuck is wrong with this person? And and the rich people are so like oblivious to, to themselves and the way they are in the world. And you know, that, that's its own kind of wounding that, that you're supposed to overcome in this lifetime. Um, I'm not talking to them though, cause fuck them. But, um, I carry the scarcity with me. And so when I'm in moments of fear about how long something is taking or, or that I'll never be able to finish it, that it's like too hard or what did I, why did I think I was capable of this or whatever? (laughs) Um, or even when it doesn't do as well as, as like my expectations or, or my hope thought it would, you know, if it's, if it just exists in the world and like three people enjoy it, Um, you know, the higher self version of me wants to really celebrate that and be like, whoa, that's three whole people who are into something I make. But then the earthbound capitalist, (laughs) you know, program slash the part of me that really feels called to do this for a living and like wishes that I wouldn't have to spend so much time doing other things to pay my bills when I wish I could just have a more direct line between what I am passionate about and what brings me life and also what gives me money to live, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like a practical need and desire. And like, I think a, you know, a somewhat healthy one, like I think everyone deserves, if we have to spend time working, um, and not just chilling, like, but even if I did, even if like we did live in an anarchist utopia and I didn't have to work, like I would still make art. So it'd be really nice if, because I do have to work, if I could do art for the work. And that's also where the fear and anxiety come in. But if I look at it from a higher perspective and it's like, oh, this is just about the enjoyment of it. Like I'm just afraid because I know what it's like to live without it. But I also know that my life is in a different place. Like hopefully, unless something like truly out of left field happens, I'll never be in that place again. You know, it'll never be that hard again. So the thing I'm scared of no longer exists in my reality. And when I can like get to that place, I feel so much better and everything feels so much easier. And I can just like surrender to the process and have fun and enjoy myself, which is what brought me back to, I wasn't planning on starting the podcast again. I didn't exactly know when I would be able to, I was having a hard time. I'm having a hard time finding time in my schedule for like all the things that I want to do and love to do and also work. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's a constant struggle of like finding balance. And there's certain things I'm not willing to overwork myself. I'm not willing to like sacrifice like personal 
time or like relationship time or nature time, you know, or and there's like chores that need to be done. And, you know, it's, <laughs> that's life, baby. Um, but I'm always trying to like find a balance. And I was a little afraid to reintroduce the podcast into the mix because the album isn't done and, and I'm having a hard enough time finishing that and like all that stuff. But then last night was when I was in the tub meditating so hard. It was like hurting my head how hard I was meditating. <laughs> um, I had this like memory pop into my head of like when I first started my spiritual practice, like eight years ago, um, like a daily, everyday spiritual connection to the universe. What I would do is I would like say my little prayer, light a candle, and then <laughs> bitch, I would start pacing back and forth through the whole house, just walking, walking, walking and talking out loud to myself. Just like this, these downloads I would get from the universe. Anyone who's like spiritual and meditates knows what I'm talking about when I say download. It's like you feel not to sound too woo woo. I don't want to lose anybody, but like to feel your heart, your crown chakra, like explode open. And you literally feel like the universe is pouring these thoughts into your head. You have no control over them. You're not thinking them. They're just coming to you. And sometimes if I can feel like a physical sensation when this is going on and it's, it's lovely, but it's overwhelming. And I was getting to the point where like, I couldn't write fast enough for the, the information that was coming in. And I, didn't always remember what I was getting. Um, so I, I wanted to write it down or document it somehow. And so I started like pacing and talking because verbalizing these downloads is really helpful to me. And so I was like, I actually like to do all of them. I like to, I like to verbalize it. I like to write it down. I like to just like think about it. I like to take notes. Um, and I really like to like have conversations about it. That's very helpful to me. It like, it speeds up the healing in a big way. And so I would just walk and talk and get it all out. And that was going on for maybe like a year and a half, two years before I was like, maybe I should start recording this. Like maybe I should document it. And then I attempted it a few times and I would get self-conscious and I would take it all down and I would create a new YouTube channel and I would do a bunch of videos and I would take it all down just like over and over until I got brave enough to like stick with the discomfort of the vulnerability and the fear of being seen. And then this podcast became. And so I was just like, that's what it was all for. It was just a way to channel what was coming into my brain and what I was healing and processing in my own journey in my own life and just like have an outlet for it. Like point blank, that was the whole idea and intention. And when I think about it that way and I release, you know, how many downloads it gets or how much it's growing or how many views my reels get or how much I'm failing or succeeding and how worth it it is or not worth it is or how hard it is to fit in or you know, when I can release all of that stuff and it's just the pure joy and the practical necessity of having an outlet <laughs> for my processing, then it's easy. It's like, let's add it back in, man. I love doing it. It's so fun. I love connecting with people. I love any, like, even if it's one person, it's amazing that someone wants to listen to me talk for an hour. And I'm so thankful to those of you who do and have been. I really appreciate it. I was blown away by my Spotify 
artist like year end thing for my podcast, the numbers were really surprising to me. I, I had no idea. It was like, you know, in the thousands, you know, the 1000, it was like 1400 something like downloads for the year. And that's amazing. Like <laughs> I can't even believe that. Uh, week to week, you know, four, six, 12 listens or whatever. And it really adds up, I guess. And that's like, I can't believe that people want to listen to me talk 1400 times. <laughs> you know, it's not 200,000 the way that some people's are, but I don't know. It's amazing. Um, and I started this just for myself and my own spiritual practice. And also because I'm at the level of healing where you want to give it back. You want to like show other people how to do it. You want, you have this desire once you've reached a certain level where you're like, this has been so amazing to me. Like I'm, it just brings you to this sort of generous place where you just want to pay it forward. It just feels so good to give it to someone else. And, and those of you listening who are like on this journey, I can think of at least a few who have this inclination to like spread healing and help others like do it. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, it's hard to be vulnerable and you have to be vulnerable when you're helping others. You have to be open to other people's like pain and struggles and insecurities and ego and your own, you know, and you're always going to see the mirror of yourself in everyone you help. And sometimes that's hard, but it is so worth it. And like, I really think that the place we're in in the world, like that is a big piece of how we're going to get out of it. And that's how we like learn to be in intimate community with one another. And that's how we release these systems we've created to like give us the illusion of community when we're really the most separate we've ever been since humans existed. Um, and, and so it's really important and really special. And so if you're out there listening, like on your journey and you're like scared to do it, or you don't know if you have what it takes or whatever, like remember, have your, <laughs> get enjoyment out of it. Like everything should be a little selfish in that sense. Like don't go where you're not wanted. Don't do things that you don't enjoy <laughs> as much as you can. And, um, and remember that creating is for you first and foremost, and then also just think about like, just try to keep in mind, like if I can just like reach one person and help one person and then they can reach one person and then they can reach one person, like there's no limit to the amount of people that can be helped through each of us sharing our truth and our piece of the cosmic puzzle. So if you're on the fence about it, do it. What's the worst that could happen? You get some person, you know, calling you an asshole on Instagram.com, which you know, I, as someone who's been through it many times, it's not that bad. <laughs> uh, really quick, we're just going to take a little break for some ads and I'll see you on the flippity flip. Brought to you by the haunted mind of Brit Cannon. A walk-on production. Flight of the final girl. A journey through the nightmare of generational trauma and into the sunrise of survival. Run, don't walk. It's Flight of the Final Girl. Anywhere books are sold. And we're back. 
Um, so to get back on track with my story, not only when I left my family home, uh, I didn't know that I was leaving for good. And I, I have said this on the podcast before, but I'm glad I didn't know because if I did, I might not have gone and I needed to go. So the ignorance was bliss in that moment of my life. So I didn't take a lot of stuff with me slash my executive dysfunction, as I mentioned before, was at an all time high. I recently learned in a YouTube video essay about the show Bojack Horseman. (laughs) You can find wisdom anywhere. Um, I got therapized by this video. It attacked me greatly, but also shine some light on some things that I've struggled with in the past that like put them into a new context. You know, sometimes you you need to hear things from many different sources said many different ways. You kind of need to be like repeatedly beat over the head with something before it fully sinks in. You can only process like, like a bite of it at a time. And for some reason this day, I was ready for the whole shebang. And so I learned that executive dysfunction is like a symptom of depression and and learned helplessness, which like leads into executive dysfunction is a side effect of trauma, especially in childhood, because like you don't learn how to take care of yourself. So you get into this like self-neglect and self-sabotage. And also you tend to treat yourself the way your parents treated you because that's what you think it's, that's how you think it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to feel to be alive. That's how you were taught to exist and what you were taught to experience, which is why we tend to like replay these cycles over and over again and um it that kind of like self-neglect leads you down all kinds of terrible paths like you know the overdrawn bank accounts the not going to the doctor or not I mean there's certain things that you just can't control like you can't control if you can't get a job that doesn't have health insurance and you can't afford health insurance because your job doesn't pay enough and your state sucks because it's Republican in nature and, (laughs) you know, these things you can't control. To say that it's like self-sabotage or self-neglect isn't like the whole story and it's not to blame anyone or to make anyone feel bad. This is just like speaking my own truth and from the context of now, I can see how it was replaying cycles. Like even if I had no control over it, that's sort of what privilege is. Like privilege isn't, you know, you're not a bad person if you're privileged. It just means that like there's an aspect of your life that's easier than people who have a different experience than you. And it doesn't mean your life in totality is easier. That's what intersectionality is all about. But like when you grow up with an abusive family that struggles with poverty and addiction that has untreated mental health issues where there's not a lot of stability, where there's like many different forms of abuse because no one's protecting the kids and like everyone's unstable and triggered all the time. And like, it's just chaotic and sometimes violent and scary. And when you go through that kind of trauma, like you're starting life from behind everyone else. And I have had this, this feeling and sensation my whole life. And that's where a lot of my imposter syndrome or like my fear of trying things came from is because like, you know, I would go to an audition and everyone there would have been studying musical theater and acting and dance from the time they were like three years old. And here I am 19, like having basically six years under my belt and, and being like, 
I'm a fraud. I'm a failure. I'm not as good as these people. (laughs) You know, there's a lot more that you have to overcome just to like be a functional human, not even to mention the generational cycles of, of substance use and like toxic relationships and, and not being able to disconnect from your family. There's always a lot of like money stealing or money owing or a lot of guilt, a lot of control. It's just like a big, heavy cloud of stuff that you have to wade through to even like feel okay getting out of bed in the morning. And so if you grow up with like two stable parents that love you and like (laughs) support you, even if they're not perfect, you know, um, there is like, you have like a little bit of a leg up. It's interesting when you're a nanny and you like encounter kids who have a totally chaotic home life and, and kids that, that have two parents that love them, even though they're not perfect people. Uh, the confidence in the kid, the like self assuredness, the sense of self they have, like the ability to easily make friends, like they just, they're a lot more secure. And sometimes when I see that, I'm like blown away. I'm like, I can't believe that there's people who start life off from that place. And like, bam, you could just take off like executive dysfunction who you're just like, okay. (laughs) And, um, anyway, uh, there's also a lot of like practical things that get missed doctor's appointments, dentist appointments, like nobody in a toxic family goes to therapy. So of course they're not going to send their kids there. They're too busy protecting the family unit and like protecting everyone from, having to face consequences for their actions. So there's a lot of like lying and hiding and like pretending you're okay when you're not and gaslighting and oh, it's a mess. But uh, the, the nobody really like taking care of anything combined with my own executive dysfunction. So like once I lost my wallet and with it my social security card and I didn't replace it. You know, just like I never did it. And that was when I was in my maybe mid-20s. So that has been missing for some time. And then I lost my birth certificate when I was homeless because it's really hard to hold on to everything. My knickknacks, I held on to, but my <laughs> my birth certificate, missing in action. I'm, I lost my birth certificate and like several pairs of underwear and um, and everything else I kept, <laughs> except for the stuff I pawned to buy weed. Um, priorities. But so when I, when I, when I finally feel stable enough to like start getting my life together, I have no documentation. I have like no way to get anyone to help me with documentation because the best way to go is for your parents to help you get your documents for you. Somebody needs an ID. I didn't have any. And so it's been like basically a four year process of getting my documents in order. And anyone who's had to go through this or like even go to the DMV, like, you know, everyone's mean, everyone's in a bad mood. (laughs) It's just everyone acts like you're a dumbass for not having what you need. It's very confusing, the point system and like, oh gosh, it's terrible. And so that, I finally got my ID. I got my social security card. I have my birth certificate. I have everything I need. And that felt like a miracle. It was four years of terrible experiences and struggle and getting scared that I would never be able to take care of it. And also not being able to do certain other things because if you don't have identification, you can't. So there's all these barriers to like, for example, like a, like certain doctors, like they won't see you if you don't have ID or whatever. So 
there's just like level upon level upon level. It's like my executive dysfunction and me putting things off and procrastinating and not being able to take care of myself because I'm not like a full adult. Um, and I, no one ever taught me how to do this. Like no one came through for me and showed me this is how you take care of your life. In fact, my family tended to ignore most problems and until they got so bad that like someone went to jail or something. <laughs> so not a good example of like how to take care of things and be a grown up. on top of just like not having, not being able to reach out to anyone, not being able to get help, not being able to like stay with someone while you get back on your feet or like, there's just no safety net whatsoever. And so slowly but surely, one bite at a time, you know, we'd like get some things in order, take several steps back, get some things in order, not be able to go further, go back to the social security office, go back to the DMV, just like over and over and over. (laughs) But then one day, it all fell into place. And now I have everything I need. And I will never have to go through that again. I will always have all the documents I need. I will take better care of them. I will not lose them. I know how important they are now. But if I did lose one, I would replace it. It, I wouldn't put it off for like almost a decade. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like that that peak and that valley are never going to be that extreme ever again. I might lose something. You know, I might need to replace something. But like... I'm never going to lose it all at once. I'm never going to put a task like that off in that way ever again. And that's what I'm talking about, about how there's like a linear trend, even though it's not entirely like from the bottom to the top in one smooth straight line. There's some loop-de-loops. There's some swoops. There's some going backwards. There's some highs and lows, but like I'm never going to be that low again. Same thing with my equipment to like make art. Like I'm never going to lose it all. I, I have acquired it. I have it in my possession. I'm taking good care of it. Like it's not going anywhere. I'm never going to be without the way that I was before. And so when I can get to that place, I can release all the fear and then things sort of become fun again. (laughs) And, and like I can create from a place of, of joy and inspiration and not, like fear and this like sort of trying to outrun death or whatever it is the reason why we like create things or (laughs) you know pursue uh forms of expression like this and why we we like yearn to be seen in a public manner or you know whatever Uh, I can just create from the place of like light and then everything flows so beautifully. And like, this is the point that I'm coming to because I've been going through so many of these like kind of extreme struggles, you know, like the, I remember when I was living in my truck before I was actually homeless, when I was just home full, um, I remember thinking like, I need to purge, like I need to get rid of stuff. I need to get, you know, all the clothes that, you know, my grandma bought for me because she wanted to me, she wanted me to be like a certain type of femme and like, and that's what she decided I looked good in and, and like the decorations and the partnerships and the friendships and the hobbies and like all of this stuff that I did that weren't true to myself or that I quickly outgrew or that didn't end up being worth it or didn't end up like 
scratching the itch of like creativity that I really needed. Like they were sort of a, you know, they were a way to be creative, but not my way that I needed to be creative or whatever. Like the codependence, the lack of boundaries, like just all the versions of me that I've had to walk on from or release. Um, I felt this need to have like a physical representation of like that process of shedding. And, and as I was like letting go of things and giving them away and like packing up what I wanted to take with me and then purging things along that journey and living with so little, like, like living, breaking life down to like its most basic processes of like getting food, getting water, finding a place to sleep, and then filling the time with like making things or doing art or just, you know, doing a, doing yoga on a mountaintop or just whatever, spending my time however. Um, I found the core of who I was. I found like this constant and deep like truth of me. And, and you know, this is not linear either. Like I, you find this, it's really easy to find it in nature with no people around (laughs) in a beautiful setting where you're living on your own terms. If you don't like a place, you can just leave. Like all of that freedom is really conducive to that kind of self-discovery. And also you're not around people that much. Like you don't have the mirror of other people's judgment or there's no expectations of how you look. It's just, you know, I think a lot of people went through this during quarantine where like, you're not out in the world, doesn't matter what you wear. And so I think I saw actually a lot of people go on these gender journeys in the, like the sacred privacy of quarantine where like they got to just be who they were. And so some, some things dawned on them. There were some realizations had, there was some like self-expression happening that being in the world every day before was a little too scary to really dive into, or you didn't have time or energy or or money or whatever. And through the, the like self-intimacy of spending three months or six months or a year or two years or three years or whatever it was on your own, you kind of like settle into yourself and then you get comfortable there and you it becomes less of a big deal to like take that into the world. You just touch the core of you and then you're like, oh, I'm okay with showing that. And that's a process. And I've definitely taken some hits to my confidence because there's no external validation going on. And like, I'm having to, to go back into my foundation and like fix some things that were faulty, you know, certain things I'd built, uh, certain things I thought I'd overcome, of course, come back to bite you because maybe you didn't get the whole roots of the, of the weed of that trauma or like, Maybe you didn't, you know, your foundation wasn't totally level or something. And as I'm learning, because everything is everything through the process of recording my album, like there are times when I'll record something and I'll be like, oh, it's not perfect, but it's good enough. Right. And then six months later, I'm working on it again and I'm like, oh, I really should redo that part. And it sucks. It sucks because sometimes when you redo that part, you have to delete everything you've did based on that part and you have to redo those parts as well. And sometimes I resist 
doing the thing that needs to be done because I'm like, that's too much work. It's like this phrase I heard somewhere recently that was like, you never have time to do it right, but you always have time to do it over. (laughs) This is a thing I'm learning in this creative process because every, every creative process, every process, everything in life, I'm going to do an episode about this. Um, everything you participate in, in life, like living itself is a meditation. It's all a practice. It's all spiritual. It's all teaching you something, showing you something about yourself or showing you some greater truth of life. Like no matter how small a process it is or how insignificant it seems, it is showing you something. You know, like brushing your teeth at night is an act of love. It's like a a meditation. It's a massage for your teeth and your gums. It's like an act of love and taking care of yourself. Like anything can be a spiritual practice. And making this album, again, if I can like get rid of the expectations and the pressure and the like deadlines I've inflicted upon myself and and the fear that it's never going to get done... It's teaching me so much about the non-linear, non-exponential, wackadoo (laughs) path to creating something, but that in the end, it's going to get done, you know? Like that is linear. There is a, a, a beginning, a middle, and an end to every story, to every journey, And right now I'm in the middle. And sometimes when you're in the middle, you feel like you're going to lose your mind and you feel like this is never going to end. And you feel like, am I even having fun anymore? And you feel like if I encounter one more setback, for example, one of the reasons why I didn't get as much done in the month of October or December, whichever was the first, my first month off, um, (laughs) one reason why I didn't get anything done was because I am not kidding. A silica bead from a silica packet got jammed in my headphone jack of my MacBook. Now, imagine what stars needed to align for me to put my laptop down on a bead of an exploded silica packet. Where did the silica packet even come from? So, so, so many, I had to There had to be a silica packet. I had to not pick it up for who knows how long. It needed to explode and the little beads needed to be placed in such a way that when I decided to randomly place my laptop down on its side, headphone jack first, the little ball lined up perfectly with my headphone jack, slid inside it, got wedged and stayed stuck there. Like, the, the series of events that needed to unfold. So I had to spend about three weeks figuring out how bad of a problem this was and like how to fix it. It was like so much research, trial and error, literal hours of poking at this thing, trying to get it out. I finally got it out and I was like, this is so annoying. Like <laughs> the time I just wasted, doesn't the universe want me to make this? Like, isn't this part of my divine journey on this planet to make this piece of art like god damn it why is it so fucking hard but on the silver linings playbook side of things if that ever happens to me again I know how to fix it It, I won't freak out it won't take three weeks I also now understand the importance of throwing away a silica packet immediately and I will always 
from now on for the rest of my life, just like I'm going to keep my very important documents in some kind of like fireproof locker. (laughs) I am never losing them again. I'm never keeping a silica packet around again. Executive dysfunction, fuck off. We are functioning. We are executive functioning. We are throwing away silica packets. They're never getting jammed in our headphone jack again. As God is my witness. Um, It taught me that very important lesson. Um, It also taught me like about my own resourcefulness. And it also taught me in those three weeks, I was working in my brain. I was planning what I was going to do. I knew exactly what I needed to work on. I managed to do a little bit of recording, a little bit of editing, a little bit of processing. I wrote another song. Um, I added some very important things. So like work was being done even when I couldn't do work. And also I rested. I rested, I got into exercising, the exercising helped my mood and helped my chronic pain and helped my body, I spent some time with my loved ones, I went on a couple hikes, I found the fun of life, I did some living, and then when I got it all fixed and it was ready to work again, I hit the ground running and I got so much done and then I didn't touch it for three more weeks. (laughs) And in that time, I had the best holiday season I've ever had in my adult life. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you will have heard me go through a couple holiday seasons and, and they were bad. Like as I was an adult and I was still in contact with my family, just because, you know, you see how everyone pretends on the holidays, like toxic families for toxic families, holidays are especially important because it's, it's like the three days a year you get together and you all pretend everything's fine and you step into the old versions of yourself that weren't broken and crumbling and suffering so deeply and you can play at a happy family. And when you're a kid, you, you really buy into that. I mean, you're just like, I love the holidays. Like, I love being around my family. I love when everyone's like happy and laughing and playing and like it's so beautiful and we love each other so much and you kind of it's like a form of love bombing almost like you hold on to those memories and moments and then as at least in my own experience like as I grew up I I knew more of what was going on I was more privy to like the ins and outs of how everyone was living and what everyone was struggling through and I watched them go through it and like I knew how unhappy everyone was and I started to sense how, you know, my mom was itching to get a drink and she was like rushing us through it or, or, you know, I'd be on the way home with my grandma and she'd be gossiping about everyone and, or shitting all over the presents she got or whatever. And, and the, the joy started being diminished by like the truth and it was heartbreaking. Like it was devastating and the holidays became heavier and heavier and heavier and sadder and sadder and everyone became less and less able to pretend as well and just the cracks were showing and and so it was sad and triggering and traumatizing in and of itself when I was in contact with them but then being not in contact with them like and and moving to a city where you don't really know anyone and like And, you know, I had basically one friend that I would spend the holidays with and thank goodness for her. She's like an angel on earth. But, (laughs) you know, you I got to the point where it was so sad. It was like this physical grief that I would feel around the holidays. And I got to the point where I either wanted to like black out during them, which wasn't healthy 
or just avoid them altogether, just pretend they didn't exist or work through them or whatever because it was just too heavy and I wasn't ready to create my own traditions. I couldn't even like, I could barely function basically from my birthday to January 1st. And so this year I like celebrated every bit of it. I had so much fun. I spent so much quality time with my loved ones as much as I could get with the people who are close by. I like loved seeing everybody's family Christmas photos and my friends who are parents, like seeing Christmas through the eyes of their children, like seeing Christmas through the eyes of the children that I nanny and the family that I work for. And just, I really was like fully in it. And I'm really glad I didn't work (laughs) because it was the first one that's felt that good since I was a kid basically. And, and it was, this one was rooted in my own sense of stability and peace and like my version of sobriety at the moment, (laughs) which is pretty freaking sober compared to how I've been in the past. Um, just not, you know, just not fully, but not in a moderate balance sort of way. Um, and just, I just got to spend quality time with myself and my loved ones and like create new traditions and appreciate the traditions that have like naturally unfolded as I've started to create the community around myself that I've always wanted. And like, I'm glad I didn't work. (laughs) And, and when I come back to it and I bird's eye view my life, like I am actually better than I've ever been. And it may not have been completely linear or perfect or smooth or pretty or like, unmessy. It may have been at times chaotic and heartbreaking and full of grief and backslides and mistakes and cringeworthy moments and, and just hardship and suffering and, and, uh, scarcity and fear, you know, but, but I'm better than I've ever been. And that's progress, baby. The Walk On Podcast is a production of Walk On Productions. It is written, recorded, hosted, produced, and marketed by yours truly. (laughs) That's right, folks. It's a one-person dog and pony show. If you'd like to help keep us afloat, you can donate on our anchor.fm page. That's anchor.fm backslash Brit-Cannon. You can also go to my website, BritCannon.me, to access lots of other things like the blog that goes along with this podcast, my two YouTube channels, the Walk On Podcast YouTube channel, and my personal YouTube channel that features my poetry and music. You can access the album Shiny Silver Snakes that I made with my good friend Lokomoko. You can find Mantra, the EP that Walk On, the theme song to this podcast, is part of. And you can find Flight of the Final Girl, which is my debut poetry collection. There's also merch, t-shirts, stickers, mugs, lots of other stuff with the swears on them. (laughs) There are photos, videos, and links to all of the services I offer, including tarot readings, astrology readings, mentorship services, if you'd like some one-on-one consultations outside of the realm of tarot and astrology. And you can also access my self-love course, which is a 30-day journal-centered self-love course that is designed to help you build a deeper friendship and more loving relationship with yourself. There are journal prompts, 
guided meditations, self-care rituals, letter writing assignments, and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing the work. Happy healing. Until next time. Bye.